If you would please open in the Bible to Ephesians chapter 6 on page 979 in the uh, Pew Bible or you can look it up uh, on your smartphone or you'll also find it in the bulletin. But it would be helpful if you'd have it open in front of you as we uh, look at what uh, the Lord has to say to us today. Uh, Brothers and sisters, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word. This is Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd be pleased to send your sovereign spirit powerfully upon us this morning, that your spirit would put away from us those distractions that keep us from hearing you, that you would pry open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it. And rejoice in it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We've been doing a series on the book of Ephesians for the last uh, several weeks. Uh, and uh, we, in the last couple of weeks, have been looking particularly at a set of applications that the Apostle Paul gives to the church in Ephesus. Applications of principles a theology, really, if you will, uh, which is lived out in the real world. Uh, It's not theological abstractions floating out in space. Uh, It's actually a a theological understanding which is actually lived out in human relationships. Uh, If you look across the page to Ephesians chapter 5, you'll see uh, Paul, who has in chapters 1 to 4 given us a theology of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, the the amazing grace of God through Christ. And he says, chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, what he's writing here is based on what he wrote there. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us. So here in chapter 6, we're continuing with this theme of walking in love And specifically, we're going to think this morning about walking in love at home. Uh, This is actually part two of walking in love at home, because last Sunday, if you were here, you'll know we looked at the end of chapter five, where Paul had important words for wives and husbands. And we, we looked at what Paul had to say about this most sort of foundational relationship, uh, this most intimate relationship. And he had a lot to say to both wives and husbands. I want to acknowledge something right at the beginning. This week, as we talk about living out the Christian life in these intimate settings, um, something that I probably didn't stress appropriately uh, last Sunday. um, And I mentioned it, but I didn't perhaps stress it the way I should have. And I, I want to do that today because it applies today. The fact is, when we start talking about these intimate relationships... As we all know, we fail to live up to God's high call. We fail to live up to what Paul is here describing. We need to acknowledge that. 
Uh, we need to acknowledge it because it's important to humble us all, but we also need to acknowledge it because, brothers and sisters, sitting here among us and among those listening on Facebook and in our wider community, there are many people who are the sad victims of people not doing what Paul has talked about doing. There are people who are actually victims of those who even take part of what Paul says and twist it around and use it in an unhelpful and even a terribly unhelpful, even violent way. And so you might have noticed that last week I put out a couple of realm announcements about domestic abuse. Uh, We actually talked about domestic abuse at this year's General Assembly. It's something our denomination is going to be thinking a lot about in the next few years. We're going to be thinking about the the reality of failure in this most intimate human relationship. So I put out a couple of realm posts. One realm post said, if you or anybody at MetroCrest is wrestling with a situation of domestic abuse, and we know these things happen within the church, then we care. We care. We will pray for you, but we will do much more than pray for you. We want to help. We want to be a resource. So if that describes you or ever describes you, then we care and we want to help. And I've actually given in the bulletin again three phone numbers. My own phone number is your pastor and the phone numbers of two women who have volunteered to be a point of contact. If you ever face this challenge, you do not face it alone. We are here to help. And Susan Smith and Gwen Sterenberg have volunteered. They've been willing to be a point of contact. So you can call me or you can speak to a woman. We want to help. And then we put out a second realm post because the people that are perhaps experiencing this domestic abuse aren't necessarily members of MetroCrest. They may not be Christians. And so there is a second realm post that provided the the contact website and phone number for an excellent ministry based here in Carrollton for people who face this sad reality. So I I just want to underscore at the beginning of another section that has to do with intimate human relationships, there are people, there are organizations, there is a church that cares and is here to help. And we will take your situation seriously and to heart. And that includes, by the way, what we're going to talk about next. Because Paul turns immediately from husbands and wives to talking about parents and kids. And I also know that there are instances of domestic abuse among parents and children. And that is another sad reality which we don't acknowledge at the very beginning. That is a true thing. And it happens in the church. And we want to help. And So everything I said about wives and husbands, please hear me say again about children and parents. We are here to help and we will be able to do that as you reach out to us. So what does Paul have to say to this next most intimate human relationship about children and parents? Well, it took him two long paragraphs to deal with husbands and wives. But here he deals with children and parents in just one paragraph. Four verses long, Paul is going to deal with this extremely important human relationship. He deals, first of all, with children. Look at uh, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, 
Paul looking at all the range of relationships between children and parents, and, and he brings this word to the children. Now, one thing I want to underscore right at the outset is Paul seemed to think that when his letter to the church in Ephesus was read to the church, there would actually be children and young people there. Because the apostolic vision for the church is this multi-generational community of people who are older and older, older, and people who are younger and even babies. We're a community that includes that little voice I hear in the background. Very intentionally so. We're a church that welcomes families. We welcome our children of all ages. We're not put off by a baby making baby noises. Because we're a community that includes our children. And so Paul delivers here a little miniature sermon to the children who are in the room. So kids, this is a message from the Apostle Paul to you. And I look around this room and I see a lot of children. I see a lot of young people in this room. And I want you to know that the church is here for you too. The church has a relevant message for you too. I think it's uh, providential that we had a college youth minister here with us today because the PCA and Metro Crest Presbyterian Church, we care about our kids that we send off to college. My experience was exactly what Justin described. I was wet clay who didn't even know it. And through the ministry of RUF, the Lord helped bring me to himself. And I am forever grateful that the PCA, long before I was a member of the PCA, cared about young people and reached out to young people. Uh, it's not just college-age students. Uh, Joseph Marble and I had a wonderful meeting this week where we talked about uh, his ministry and the things he's seeing the Lord do through our, through our high school youth ministry. And it's, it's exciting to me to see what God is doing in middle school, junior high school, and high school at Metrocrest. And I'm grateful very grateful, as we all should be, to Joseph and his team for the work they're doing. Because let me tell you, these young people, they're wet clay too. They're getting ready to move on with their life. And it's important that we help them enter this exciting and sometimes daunting period in their life where they're, they're uh, differentiating themselves. I guess that's the, the uh, psychological word for it. They're differentiating. They're, they're establishing what they believe as opposed to what their parents have taught them. They're, they're hopefully connected, but it's, it's actually an important stage in the life of a young person where they're, where they're owning what they've been taught or rejecting it. So I'm grateful that, uh, that uh, the youth ministry at Metrocrest is doing very, very well. This is exciting. Uh, I know Joseph will be saying more about it. But just so you know, the session this, just this week authorized something called a Fifth Sunday and you'll hear much more about it. I, I just want to let you know this is something on the horizon. Our goal is to actually have a service built around our young people. Uh, it'll be the same traditional liturgy, same biblical sermon. But the idea would be to include our younger members, like Paul does, to include them and to acknowledge they're not side dwellers. They're, they're actually key members of our church. 
And so several Sundays a year, we're going to set aside every fifth Sunday of every month that we have a fifth Sunday, we're going to set it aside as a special opportunity for our young people to actually get involved in running a service. I'm looking forward to seeing what that looks like because that's a gospel priority. I say it all the time, I mean it. Our young people are our primary mission field. And nowhere is that clearer than in our tiny but beautiful Sunday school. Uh, We have a small Sunday school, but let me tell you, it is such a joyful, beautiful, precious opportunity for these kids who are connecting with their peers. They're connecting with other kids their ages. They're, They're literally growing up side by side with the saints in covenant. They're growing up together. They're living life together. They're joking and playing and having fun. And They're also learning from an adult who they're connecting with. They have the opportunity in this multi-generational way to connect with with someone older than themselves. And and that's a big part of it for us is they're connecting with someone older. And our goal is for them to connect with others who are older, for them to have Christian aunts and uncles and Christian grandparents and Christian friends who are growing up right alongside them. And we want to give the context for those relationships and then finally, they're, they're having the opportunity in an age-appropriate way to learn about the Lord who is at the center of all of it. Where they will be praying with their peers and with adults. They'll be singing songs. They'll be learning from the Bible these important, priceless, essential lessons. And all that's embedded in the first word of chapter 6, children. Paul cared about kids, and he paused in this letter to the Ephesian church to focus specifically on them. And our goal as we enter our 35th year is that our children and young people will know how precious they are to us because they are precious to the Lord. Now, Paul had some things to teach them. And I don't know, it might not have been exactly what they wanted to hear. But he says, children... Obey your parents. Uh, Now, little tiny ones, they may not get that because they don't understand English yet. As they grow up, they may not get that because we all have dwelling within us this sin nature. And it will present itself. Over time, it will present itself. And your beautiful, precious little baby is going to grow up and one day say, no, mommy, I'm not going to do that. What did you just say? Obedience doesn't come easy to any of us, does it? It doesn't come easy to us. So Paul says to the children whom he cares about, as Jesus cared about them, he says, obey your parents. That's, that was his message to them at this point. Now, why obey your parents? Here's an obligation that Paul shares with these little ones. He's actually here echoing what the Bible says many times in many ways, including the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, we're commanded to honor our father and mother, and Paul actually quotes it. See, any good Christian discipleship is going to include the Bible, and that's what Paul does here. He he literally quotes in verse 2, honor your father and mother. He calls it a commandment. Paul brings a commandment, a commandment, an important word, an obligation to these little ones. And it's, by the way, this word that he uses for children 
doesn't just mean little tiny ones. It means as they grow up. And, you know, not all of us have kids, but all of us have parents. All of us have that human relationship. And within that context, God's word tells us we're to honor our parents. Now, we've talked about the exceptions. We've talked about the reality of failure in that human relationship. If you're in that situation, let's talk. Let's pray. But generally, Paul is saying to the audience there in Ephesus, and I think to us as well, children, learn this lesson that obey your parents. Honor them. You know, I look around at so much of society today and I, I see children that do not honor their parents, let alone obey them. I mean, I, I, I can slip into the grumpy old man routine far too easily. But it's easy to be grumpy when I see the way, the way families are often living out their life. I, I see children be incredibly disrespectful to their parents, incredibly dishonoring to their parents. Well, that's not, that's not okay. It's not okay for that family. It's not okay for society. And it's not okay for that kid. I think actually that's the point Paul is making here. The obedience is intended to be a blessing to the person who obeys. It doesn't say obey because, man, your parents are going to love it if you do what they tell you to. Although I'm sure they will. He actually says, obey your parents. Learn to honor your parents because it's going to be a blessing to you. I think that's a really, really timely word. And in fact, it's profoundly unloving not to teach our children what Paul was here teaching the children in Ephesus. We are not doing our children any favor to indulge every childish desire, to be passive, to look the other way. It is profoundly unloving. So Paul tells the children there at the church in Ephesus to obey their parents. He gives them this obligation, this, this uh, commandment, and I think it's a really important one. He also accompanies it, by the way, with a qualification. Notice what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. There is someone who reigns over the parents, too. And no child is obligated to obey the ungodly, anti-Lord commandment of a parent. I hope that's not something people wrestle with, but I imagine it is. Knowing the depth of human depravity, I know there are people who've been in that situation. But Paul puts this extremely important qualification right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. And then he says there's a motivation attached. There's a, uh, an obligation. There's this qualification that the obedience is in the Lord. And finally, he says... For this is right. You know, uh, as kids grow up, they start asking, why, why, why? Why should I do what you tell me to do? Well, because it's right. And then he goes on to add to that, 
This is the first commandment with a promise, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I think there's a point at which the correct answer is you do it because it's right. And as we grow up, as we get more articulate with our questioning, the answer is obey your parents, honor your parents so that it will go well with you so that you will experience more and more of the blessing God intends. It does not say, obey your parents and you will never have a problem, but it will go well. It will go well start to finish. There there will be an end point at which where everything will go well, it will all be made right, regardless of the suffering, regardless of the sadness, regardless of the infinite variety of things that can go wrong. In spite of all those things, In the end, Paul says, it will go well. And he's just here quoting what the the, uh, Ten Commandments tell us. He's not making it up. He's, He's simply bringing the Old Testament promise and applying it in the New Testament covenant. And he's saying, if you seek to do these things, then your life will show the fruit of that blessing. Because in the end, it will go well. In the end, God's covenant promises are dependable and you can trust them. And to every young person in this room, I just want to give you this encouragement from God's word that if you seek to do this, if you make this your goal, you will experience something of the blessing that God intends. That it will go well with you. That's a promise. He says the first commandment with a promise. So take that word. It's it's from the apostle Paul to you. So he has a a word that that kids don't necessarily want to hear, obey. Now he has a a word for parents. This is his model. He's already done this with wives and then husbands. He's doing it today with children and and then parents. And the next Sunday he's going to apply it in a different relationship. We'll look at that next week. But he he has an even more challenging word to the parents. This is what he says in verse 4. Fathers, some translations say parents, and the ESV editors have called it children and parents. Uh, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, Lots of translations emphasize the fact that what Paul is saying here applies equally to moms and dads. Parents share in this responsibility, and it's an important responsibility I've already mentioned our Sunday school. I've already mentioned our youth group. I've already mentioned our college group, our commitment to young people. Well, the church is here to support you in your primary responsibility as parents. You see, the the Lord has entrusted these precious little ones to you. Now, that's a staggering thought. That God would entrust this precious little life to a couple of sinners. So there's a, a, an important word there for, for parents. But, but, Paul actually purposely uses a word for fathers. Uh, there's another word for parents. He uses it back in chapter 6, verse 1. It's a, a word that means generically parents. It's a wonderful word. It's often used. But here in chapter 6, verse 4, Paul focuses on dads. That's the word he uses, pater. 
So let's just think a little bit about the role of parents. Now, I think of fathers, because I think in our culture, we tend to think of child rearing as something the mom is in charge of. And it's certainly true that mothers have a unique role in their children's lives from the very beginning, and it's lived out in a variety of ways, but from the very beginning, that unique relationship is established, and it's deep and profound. We all know what it's like. We know what it what happens when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And hopefully we've seen glimpses of what it does look like when it works well. When there's this bond between mother and child. I mean, it's a truism, isn't it? That, you know, the whole world may be against you, but mom's going to be on your side. Well, that's a truism because it's true. Well, here Paul pauses to focus on the role of fathers. And I think... This is probably the most controversial thing Paul has to say to children and parents. Because in the Greco-Roman world, the, the role of the father was this kind of removed, almost symbolic figure. Uh, many of them were soldiers. Ephesus was a military town. There had been soldiers. There'd be all kinds of relationships, uh, many of which were, as we saw last week, tainted by all kinds of of unhealthy, sinful impulses. So here Paul has this radical word to fathers. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Interesting he starts there with provocation. Um, Dads can occasionally provoke. Have you noticed that? Dads, have you ever realized you've unhelpfully provoked your kids? Kids... Have you ever felt that dad was getting your goat, pushing your buttons? It's virtually a universal experience. So to the fathers, Paul says, don't do that. Don't provoke your children to anger. You know, a lot of the things we see in our society come from the failures of dads. They're provoking their children. And they provoke him in a variety of ways. There's, there's certainly the angry, violent father who provokes his children with his mean words and his behavior and his, sometimes his aggressiveness. That's the thing, this anger. Sometimes it's by controlling, by controlling the details of their kids' lives and that provokes them to anger. Controlling behaviors can do that. Sometimes it's, it's a kind of passive withdrawal that provokes kids. They don't, they don't see an engaged father who's there to help, and that provokes anger in the, in the young person. Uh, absent fathers. I know about an absent father. I know how devastating that relationship can be, that absent father relationship, where the person who's supposed to be living out what Paul says here abdicates and removes himself. And I can tell you, I think lots of people spend a lifetime overcoming an absent father. Or perhaps it's the spiritually absent father. I've served churches where the congregation was filled with women and their children because dad was playing golf. Maybe you live through that. And you know how spiritually impoverishing it is if if half the household isn't there living out the Christian life 
witnessing in word and deed. And how wonderful it is when dad does do that important part of his job. But all, in all those ways and probably many other besides, fathers sometimes provoke their children. And Paul says, don't do that. It's interesting he begins with the negative. Don't do, Paul is essentially saying, what I suspect you're doing. Stop it. And every one of us, dads, every, every dad, soon to be dad, would like to be a dad one day, someone who prays for dads, Here's a word for us that we, that we would learn not to do those things that provoke the unhealthy behaviors we sometimes see in our children. That doesn't explain every unhealthy behavior. Not saying it's dad's fault. But I am saying, dads, let's learn what Paul here by the power of the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Now, um, just before this service, we had our leadership training course. And I love this bunch of guys. I tell you, we're getting ready to have elections and all that stuff. It's a very important time in the life of the church. And uh, this group of guys that I've been getting together every Sunday for the past, most of the past year. And today, we were talking about qualifications for office. And we started talking about being a dad. And let me tell you, in this room full of together, it was a small group of us, we went around, looked at each other. There was no one in the room who felt or feels as though we are even close to getting it the way we know we should. You see, the same guy who wrote Ephesians also wrote 1 Timothy. He actually had a word there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, for, sorry, chapter 3, for church officers, for those who serve the church. And one of the qualifications is that to be an officer, you should, he says, chapter 3, verse 4, manage your own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And it was in the context of our thinking about that and sort of trying to square that up with the very real sense of inadequacy and failure. We're all keenly aware of our inadequacy, our failure. We don't do it the way we know we should. Well, is Paul saying that nobody at Metrocrest is eligible to be a church officer? Is he saying that no one who feels they've been inadequate in some way? No. And Paul's not here saying to parents, that if you, to fathers, that if you provoke your child to anger, you're a miserable failure. What he's actually saying is, let's live together growing into what Paul has described. Let's live life together, dads encouraging one another, exhorting one another, showing one another examples of what this looks like is we live, out, live it out imperfectly. We, we always live it out imperfectly. As a matter of fact, at the session meeting this past week, we were talking about the discipleship ministry of our church and how we want to disciple. And we started talking about our young people. 
We started talking about the roles of dads. We started talking about the roles of parents. And here in the session meeting, we had a similar realization of our inadequacy, our failure. None of us does this the way we know we need to do it, the way we're called to do it. We all have a realization of our inadequacy at performing this task, which has been specially entrusted to us. So to all of us, Paul is saying, Let's learn, let's, let's seek as disciples, as those who are seeking to grow in Christ. In all of our human relationships, husbands, wives, children, and parents, let's seek to grow together by learning, by discipling, by, by encouraging each other as we seek to live into this. And the promise of the gospel is that as we seek to do those things, it makes a difference in our own lives. does not promise we will not have problems at all. Doesn't promise that if you do everything you can do that you won't still see problems pop up in the house. It's not saying that. But as we live that out as a community, what we see is a transformed community. And it's that transformed community that the Lord uses to bless us and to draw other people to himself. I mentioned our picnic last week. At the beginning of the service, I was really grateful to the fellowship team for organizing that. It was a lot of fun. But I mentioned then, I'll mention again, the, the, the power of families as well as individuals, families as well as individuals who are being transformed by the power of God through his word is powerful. It is very powerful. It's one of the ways that God sovereignly draws people to himself. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, the, the, the community gathered together in homes with grateful hearts. They shared meals. And, and the Lord used that community to draw people to himself in the thousands. Well, um, we have a big to-do list for the next 35 years. One of the things I hope we can focus on together is Helping to build up godly families with husbands and wives and children and parents, moms and dads working together, led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, encouraged by the church to build that kind of community in our day, to build that kind of community at Metrocrest. And then to watch with amazement as God uses imperfect sinners like ourselves to bring people to Jesus across generations, generations of people who will be drawn to Christ through the simple process of of learning to seek to live these things out together.